Well, it's great to see you. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 50. Genesis chapter 50. We're going to bring to a close tonight our study of this great book, the book of beginnings. And we've seen really, the, as we look at the book of Genesis, we've seen the beginning of creation and sin and the promise of the Messiah, the choosing of the nation of Israel, all beginning with Abraham. So over all these weeks, we've been seeing some great things. And all these things found, of course, in the book of Genesis this evening. As we finish the study, we're seeing the end of the days of the life of Joseph. And and so several things tonight. Some of this we've talked about a little bit already, but we're going to see Joseph and his brothers and the whole issue of forgiveness. I think it's vital that even though last week we talked about forgiveness, I think we need to review it just a little bit because the, the whole issue of forgiveness is, is vital in our lives. It happens all the time. Pete, there's always something going on in our lives in which we need to forgive somebody. And if we do not forgive, it's going gonna, it's gonna to cause bitterness and pain and depression and everything else. So forgiveness is important. The second thing is we see the death of Joseph and his request. The request is the same as his father. Jacob said, I want to be taken back and buried in the promised land. Joseph says, when I die, I want to be taken back. I said, I, you know, one of these days you're leaving here. I know you're leaving here because of the promise. I want you to take my bones and put, take me back to the land. And then just was the end, just with a very brief review of the book, just so that we kind of put it together as we've done this study. We want to gain from this final lesson from Genesis, and, and of course we'll just move right on into Exodus because the flow of the history doesn't stop. I mean, it's really fantastic, and we'll see how it ties together. Let's let's begin with prayer, and then we'll get into the study. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a great night. Thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy to us in Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you for the book of Genesis, how powerful it is, and the things that are there. As, as the, it's the book of beginnings, and all of the things that we see begin in here and then Lord we realize in the book of Revelation is the book of consummation that everything comes together there so teach us Lord as we study tonight as we see how it all ties together most of all Lord thank you again for our Savior Jesus and the privilege we have to have eternal life as a gift not based on what we do but based on what Jesus Christ has already done and we trust in him for eternal life thank you Lord teach us now Lord as we study we ask all of this in Jesus name Amen. Well, uh, a promise. When people make a promise, sometimes we, we like promises. People say, I promise I'll do that. That sounds good. A promise is a commitment. That's what it really is. If somebody promises, they say, I will do something, they're committing to do it. The, the truth is this. A promise is only as good as the one who makes the promise. A friend may say, look, I'll be glad to do this. I'll be glad to do this. Well, it's really only as good as that person, the character of that person or the abilities of that person. He may be a great person and says, I'll be there and do this, but he may not show up. And, he, and it may be because of his character because he just overthrew or it could be he just couldn't get there. We don't, no telling. The question may be, is this person reliable or do they usually keep their word? Uh, somebody says, I'll, I'll get you a ticket. Don't worry, I'll get you a ticket to the game. Well, you may say... Yeah, sure. I mean, he promises, but he's always promising. Or maybe, listen, that guy says he's going to get you a ticket. You're going to get a ticket, you know. Now, here's the great truth, though. Great truth that when God makes a promise, he keeps it. When God makes a promise, he keeps it. He makes promises. In fact, we can always count on him. Titus 1 verse 2 says, God who cannot lie. He can't lie. So if he makes a promise, he can't lie. So he's going to do it. And then Romans 4 says he has the ability to do whatever he promises. So it's really amazing. So you think about it this way. Not only does God keep his word, but he is always able to, to, to keep it. In other words, not only does he keep it just in the fact that he can't lie, but he has the ability to, to carry out whatever he says he will do. As we bring to close the book of Genesis, we really think of the character of God because all the way through he's made promises going all the way back to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, uh, to Judah, uh, Joseph, all of these people. And we see that he made a promise about the land. He told Abraham years and years ago that Abraham, this is their land. This is the land he's given to the nation of Israel. This would be their land. They've never really possessed it. 
They never even really possessed it. And now they're down in Egypt. And uh, they believe the promise of God. That God said, that's going to be our land, and we're going to get it. Uh, he promised the land to Canaan, and it's been passed from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob and on down. As we bring to a close this study, we see the death of Joseph. And what does Joseph say? I know one day you will go back to the land. Did you realize, and I don't know if you remember this, but when God made a promise to Abraham, and it was in chapter about 15, he told him that that was their land. He told him, you will be strangers and servants in a land for 400 years, and then I'll bring you back here. That was a promised way to Abraham. That this, this aspect of going into Egypt without realizing that they're going down to Egypt, they're going to end up being captives. We're going to see it in chapter 1 of Exodus. And that's exactly what God said was going to happen to him. And he said, you'll be there for 400 years. Then I'm going to bring you back. And that's exactly what God does. As, as Joseph is about to die, he says, take my body back to the promised land. I know one day you will leave here and go back. Joseph believed God's promises. And when you leave, he said, take my bones with you. Now, he didn't do the same as his dad. His dad said, Jacob said, take me back and bury me there. Joseph knew that they would not allow to take the body of Joseph out of Egypt. Why? He's special. He's famous. He's the one that saved the people. He's number two beside, beside Pharaoh, and he is a hero. They're not going to be able to say, thank you, he just died, we're going to leave. They said, no, 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 we're going to put him on display. That's what they're going to do. They're going to embalm the body and put him in a coffin and put him on display because... Joseph is a hero in Egypt. He saved all their lives. He's the one that had the the idea from God, the message from God that that the fa- that the the plagues, were, I mean, the uh, famine was coming, and you've got to you got to get the food back, set it back, and he saved all the people's lives. So, as we think about this, do you and I believe the promises of God? I know people who say that they have trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. And when you trust Jesus Christ as Savior, what do you get? Eternal life. But I know people who say, well, I think you could probably lose your salvation. I say, wait a minute, wait a minute. What was the promise? John 10, 28, I give you eternal life and you shall what? Never perish. Is that a promise? I mean, you think you're going to ever perish? To perish means to be separated from God eternally. Is that going to ever happen to any of us in this room who know Jesus Christ as Savior? No. There are people who, who are all upset and they think they can lose their salvation or they think this and this. I mean, does the Bible say that whoever believes has eternal life? Doesn't it say that? Is there more to it than that? No, there's not. And, and so God has these promises. So at, well, as we begin, let me, let me just do several things. We want to do this. We want to review the forgiveness. We want to look at Joseph's death. And then we get just give a kind of a brief review of the book of Genesis. We've talked about it all the way through. I think I still have, there's a few of these cards over here, which are the about Genesis, the book of the beginnings. And it has some of the things on the outline on the other side. So you can pick those up. If You know, if you didn't get one or if you want one, they're right there as well. Let's, let's begin. Let's remember where we are. We saw last time that Jacob died. Now, you know, and I, I think about these people, I hope you do this. I hope you, when we studied all this time, the book of Genesis, that when we were looking at Adam and Eve, you thought about Adam and Eve as real people and what they did and all this, and then you see him choose, you see God choosing this 75-year-old man and telling him he's going to have so many kids he can't count them all, and, and you see what his life is like, and then you look at Isaac, and then you look at Jacob, and we've, we follow Jacob, and, and all of us would say, uh, I like Jacob, but then I'm... I'm a little, I'm a little leery of Jacob, you know, because Jacob spent his whole life deceiving people. 
And even though God changed his name and to Israel, I mean, Jacob is called the God of Jacob above anything else in the Bible. His other name is Israel, and yet you and I would say, well, we'll let Jacob be over there and we'll be over here because he's a great guy, but we don't know about him. And then you look at Joseph and you, you watch his life and you go, Joseph, about your only shortcoming is that uh, you know you're better than everybody else. That's about, you know, you know you're better than your brothers. That was about his only shortcoming because he did everything right. And so we've seen these people all the way through the book. And what I hope, and one of the things I've always tried to do when I study the Bible, especially in narrative information, I pretend I'm there. What would it be like? I mean, we're studying the Gospel of John on Sunday morning. So far, we hadn't got really into the narrative. All we've seen is there was a man named John. And he's, we're going to see, beginning in verse 19, we're going to actually see the narrative. People come out to see John the Baptist. Pretend if you're some of those people. Pretend if you're John. Pretend if you're out there. Pretend if you're standing there and you're watching John and all these people come out there. And you say something like, that guy's got a lot of hair. Yeah, you know, that guy's got a lot of hair. Pretend you're there. So as you've studied the book of Genesis and then when we get into Exodus and we see Moses and, and all the things that happen here, look at it as if you were there and it becomes alive. Well, last time we saw Jacob's death. And the truth is, it's sad. Jacob lived his whole life. As a, as a defeated man. Everything, he would say, everything has always been what? Against me. And you know, I thought, I thought about it this, uh, this afternoon. That you remember that the first 17 years of Joseph's life, he was with his dad. And the last, and then the last of Joseph's, uh, Jacob's life, the last 17 years of Jacob's life, Joseph was with him. And so he was actually with his favorite son for 34 years. But he lived 147 years. So you'd say that most of his life wasn't with his favorite son. And you think about that and you go, you know, that's sad. There were a lot of sad things in the book. And Jacob died. And, and Jacob, when he died, he, he brought in all his sons. And he said, this is going to happen to you. And this is going to happen to you. And this is going to happen to you. And it was some amazing things. But the fathers did. And now that Jacob is dead. Joseph's brothers, who did him wrong, begin to say, what if, what if he wants to get revenge? Look at verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if, what if Joseph bears a grudge against us and pays us back in full for all the wrong that we did to him? And they did him wrong. They, they wanted to kill him. They threw in a well. They sold him off to, to the Ishmaelites, the, the Midianite traders, and sold him off. And... He's, he's, treated, he's taken care of them ever since they've come to Egypt. But they thought, maybe he's only taken care of us because our dad was still alive. Now that our dad is gone, what if he gets revenge on us? So look at verse 16. And we saw this last week, and so I'm not going to go a lot of detail on it. It said, So they sent a message to Joseph saying, Your father charged before he died, saying, Thus you shall say to Joseph, Please forgive, I beg you, the transgressions of your brothers and their sin and for what they did wrong. And now please forgive the transgressions of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. We saw last time that he basically saying, Please forgive your brothers. And we brought it up last time and said, listen, if, if he actually wrote a note, if Jacob wrote a note to give to Joseph after he died, then that means he knew everything. He knew that they had, that they had been tricked all his life. He knew that the brothers had, had sold his, his son, you know, that brother off into slavery. He knew it all. But the truth is, I don't think he knew it. I think this is a lie. 
I think they're lying again. I think they're trying to protect themselves. They're so afraid that Joseph will say, well, now that dad is gone, you guys are going to get it for what you did to me. And so they lie. And they said, oh, by the way, before daddy died, he wrote this letter to you, and it says, please forgive us. That's the letter. But notice what happened when Joseph got it. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. I think his response is, I can't believe they just can't get past this. They just don't understand it. They don't understand the forgiveness. They don't understand what's going on. They don't understand that I'm not going to get them back. They don't understand that I understand all this is from God. And so notice verse 18. It says, And then his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. I brought this up last time. This is the sixth time in the book of Genesis that they have bowed down to Joseph. Back when they were kids. And Joseph said, You'll all bow down to me. And they all said, We will never bow down to you. They've now done it six times. Some of the times they knew they were bowing down to him. And some of the times they didn't know they were bound down to him. We saw this last week. I just want to remind you, from Joseph's answer, we can see the keys to forgiveness. There's three things. Look at verse 19. Joseph said to them, do not be afraid, for am I in God's place? So the first aspect is, they don't have to be afraid. Am I in God's place? Look, it is God who ultimately is the judge. And this whole idea of forgiveness, he's saying, listen, I'm not the judge. I'm not the one to get you back. When people do us wrong, God is the judge, not us. When somebody does you wrong, you don't say, I'm looking for the opportunity to get them back. Listen, vengeance belongs to who? The Lord, Romans 14, as I live, says the Lord, he says that, listen, never repay pay evil with evil, repay evil with good, leave vengeance for the Lord, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Listen, if somebody does you wrong, you don't have to get them back. You don't have to do wrong back in a sense. Leave it to God. So Jacob says, listen, don't be afraid. Am I in God's place? I'm not the judge. The second thing is, it is really powerful. You meant it for evil. What you did, you meant it for wrong, but God meant it for good. Notice the next verse. He says, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about his present result to preserve many people alive. He said, what you did, you thought you were doing me wrong, but God was going to take even your wrong and turn it for right and turn it around for something good. And God is a sovereign God that can take the things that we do. Even when people do wrong, he can still take them and turn them around for something right. We just have to trust God. When something goes wrong, we say, God, that's not right. He shouldn't have done that. That's not the way it's supposed to be. I don't think that God ought to get away with this. Don't worry about it. Number one, God's the judge. Number two, he's working all these things. And somebody may meant something for evil, but God can work it for good. And then there's the third part that we remember, and that is return good for evil. I think it's the hardest of all of them. I think we can say, okay, I'm not to get them back. God's the one. Uh, God's working all this because even though it's something bad, he can turn it to good. But the third one is return good for evil. You go, are you kidding me? You're kidding me. The person who did me evil, I turn around and do them good? The person who did me wrong, I turn around and do them good. Notice what he says in verse 21. So therefore, do not be afraid I will provide for you and your little ones. So he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Had they, what had they done to him? They threw him in a well. 
They tried to kill him. They sold him into slavery. They didn't care what happened to him. And now he says, don't worry. I care about you. You you did evil. I'm doing good. I think it's the hardest one of all. I think it's the hardest one of all. So when we think about forgiveness, and I, and I, I brought this up last time, but let me just throw four keys when you deal for forgiveness, when these kind of things happen. First of all, number one, that God is a judge. Just remember that. Vengeance doesn't belong to us. It belongs to God. He's the one that's going to work it out. Number two, that God is sovereign. I think it'll get there. Whoops. God is sovereign and that he is working all these events, uh, even the wrong things, even the bad things. The third thing is that uh, always repay evil with good. And I just think that that is such a hard thing because we're fallen people. And it's really hard. At that, most of the time when somebody does us wrong and we say, number one, God's going to get them. Number two, God's working it. Number three, I'm not going to have anything to do with him anymore. That way I'm safe. But he doesn't say, don't have anything to do with him anymore. He says, if possible, you return what? Evil with good. It's really a hard thing. There's a fourth truth that we see from the New Testament Ephesians 4.32, we forgive as we're forgiven in Christ. Be kind and hearted, forgiving one another just as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven us. You think of all the times that God has forgiven us. Every sin, every wrong, everything that we've ever done, uh, God has taken care of that and dealt with it. And if God has forgiven us in that way, we need to forgive others. It has to do with the old idea of fellowship and all of that. So God is the judge. God is sovereign. Repay evil with good and forgive others as God has forgiven us. Now, let me remind you, we talked about it last week. What exactly is forgiveness? Uh, forgiveness is to cancel the debt. That's what it means. Forgiveness is they don't owe you anything. You think, well, they did me wrong. They need to come and apologize. They need to come and do this. They need to come and make it right. Forgiveness is as you cancel the debt, you let it go. You may say, that person needs to come to apologize. Forgiveness is, I'm just letting it go. They don't owe me anything. That's really hard. And uh, if you don't forgive, it's going to affect you for the rest of your life. You're going to be out of fellowship if you're not careful. You're going to become bitter. When you become bitter, you become angry. When you become angry, you become depressed. Most people will tell you that. Uh, especially the psychologists and psychiatrists, that people who are dealing with depression, most of them are angry about something that they haven't ever dealt with. It's not, it's just, and that's what happens in our lives. Now, um, when you forgive and you cancel the debt, that doesn't mean there won't be memories or emotions. You may have the memories about these events, and you may have the emotions about these events for the rest of your life. That doesn't mean you haven't forgiven. It just means it's going to be there. That It's part of us. It's part of an event that happened to us. And so I've had people say, well, if you still think about it, sometimes you haven't forgiven. You, no, I think if you've released the debt, you've forgiven. You just may have those memories sometimes. Forgiveness is canceling the debt. Wow. Let me ask you a question, and this is really, really hard. Is there somebody you need to forgive? Is there something happening in your life that you feel hurt about that you say it really wasn't right and it's wrong and, and they shouldn't have done that and it really hurt me? You know, what we all think is they ought to come to us and say, I'm so sorry I did you wrong. I wasn't even thinking or I, I was just, you know, and we say, oh, I forgive you. And the truth is you forgive them whether they ever come to you or not. You have to do that. Cancel the debt. 
Well, let's see what happens. Um, the rest of the chapter. It says, Now Joseph stayed in Egypt, he and his father's household, and Joseph lived a 110 years. Wow. You know, you say, that's pretty long. That's not as long as the rest of the guys. I mean, those other guys lived a long time. And Joseph could say, gee, uh, I didn't get to live as long as them. Why do you think he didn't get to live as long as some of those others? Tell me about his life. Where was he for a while? He was in prison. You think it was an easy time? No. You think being a servant for uh, uh, Potiphar was easy? You think being in prison was easy? Watch what he does. Joseph saw the third generation of Ephraim's son. Now, who's Ephraim? His son. And then a second generation would be his what? Grandson. And a third generation would be his... Well, he saw his great-grandsons. And also, the sons of Micah, the sons of Manasseh, were born on Joseph's knees. Now, who is Manasseh? His other son. So who are, this, who are the sons of Micah? We've got grandsons again here, and, and so he's got uh, maybe even great-grandsons there. So he, he's lived a long time to see the family. Watch what he does. Joseph said to his brothers, and when he says brothers here, he may not mean literally at this passage his, his, his 11 brothers. He may be talking about his brothers as his family as a whole. Because he probably lived longer than a lot of them because he was the youngest. But look what it says. Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die. But God will surely take care of you and bring you up from this land to the land which he promised on an oath to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Now, I love this because he says one of these days, I'm going to die not too long from now. And But here's what I know. God will take you out of here. Our family that is living in Egypt, one day God will take us out of Egypt and take us back to the land promised to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Why? Why is God going to do that? Because he made the promise. He said, Abraham, this is your land. Isaac, this is your land. Jacob, this is your land. So Joseph says, I know that's our land. And so we're down here in Egypt, and it looks like that we, no telling how long we're going to be in Egypt. But one of these days... God's going to take you out of here. And here's what I want you to do. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, that's an oath, saying, God will surely take care of you, and you shall carry my bones up from here. Now, he knows that he, they, they can't go to Pharaoh or the family of Pharaoh and say, Joseph wants to be buried back in, the prom- in that land because they're going to say, I'm sorry. No. Too famous. Not leaving here. He saved our lives. He's a hero. We're not allowing him to be gone. Now, Jacob, we didn't know him. We didn't know Jacob. He won't be buried back there. That was his father. We said, fine, if that's what you want to do. Joseph's too famous. Not going to happen. He says, take my bones up from here. Why did he think there'd be anything left of him? They're going, hey, you listen, he's been in Egypt for a while. What do they do on the famous people? What do they do on the famous people? They embalm them. And they had a good, pretty good process because they'd say, now, Joseph, come look at this guy. He's been here a long time. Yeah, he, that's amazing. Amazing. Right? He figures they're going to embalm him. He figures he's going to last a long time. He figures there's going to be bones. He says, take my bones out of here. Amazing. Take my bones with you. See, he wanted... To be resurrected in the promised land. 
That's what's so amazing. He knew that one day they would go back and God would do that. Going all the way back to Genesis 12 and Genesis 13 and 15 and 18, God cutting the covenant, God making the promise, God telling them one day they'd be slaves in a foreign land. He would bring them out. He knew that. So look what happened. So Joseph died at the age of 110 years, and he was embalmed and placed in a coffin in Egypt. It's like a chest. Basically, best we can tell, he may have been on display. Here's one of the heroes. Here's the one that kept us alive. Now, you remember that, and just a quick idea there, after Joseph died, the people stayed there. The family stayed there. The Jewish people stayed there. They lived in the land of Goshen. And then there, there, one day came a Pharaoh that did not remember Joseph. And we say, who is this Pharaoh that didn't know Joseph? Wouldn't, wouldn't Pharaoh's son remember Joseph because they would have talked about it? What about, well, some people say that somebody came in and took over. A new group, a new part of the Egyptians. There was an uprising, and, and a new Pharaoh took over. And this Pharaoh said, I don't know anything about this Joseph guy. I don't know anything about these Jewish people. And he puts them in slavery. And that's what we're going to see as we get into Exodus. The Jewish people go into slavery. And we're going to see that they're there, and God raises up Moses to bring them back. But I want to show you something. Turn to Exodus chapter 13. We're going to see this not real long from now. In Exodus 13, they're getting ready to leave the promised land. And who's going to lead them out of this? I mean, they're getting ready to leave, to go to the promised land. Who's going to lead them out of Egypt? Moses. Okay, look at look at verse 19 of Exodus 13. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. For he had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely take care of you, and you shall carry my bones from here with you. So we see Joseph's taking them out. I mean, excuse me, Moses is taking out Joseph's bones. Now, that's not all. I want you to see one other thing. You remember they ended up going in the land, right? But Moses doesn't take them into the promised land, does he? Who does? Joshua. And then when they got in the promised land, what did they do? They divided the land up. I want you to turn to Joshua chapter 24. So you go Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua. This is them taking the land. Look at Joshua 24, which if you notice, Joshua 24 is the very end. Look at Joshua 24. They've come in. They've divided the land up. And notice verse 32. Now they buried the bones of Joseph, which the sons of Israel brought up from the land of Egypt at Shechem in the piece of ground which Jacob had bought from the sons of Hamar, the father of Shechem, for 100 pieces of money, and they became the inheritance of Joseph's sons. So go back to the very end of Genesis. What have we seen? We've seen that exactly the promise. They, they did it. Moses said, don't forget the bones. Here, somebody get those bones. We made the promise to him. We're going, this is a long time, 400 years. They didn't forget. And then when they finally get in the land, which takes a while, divided it all up, Joshua lives and dies, and then they say, let's bury him in the land that they bought from Shechem. And this will be his descendants' land. What tribes? Ephraim and Manasseh. That's the descendants of Joseph. That'll be his place. Wow. The book of Genesis begins with the creation by God. 
It begins with light and life and ends with death. Joseph in a coffin. God's working his plan. And in 400 years, he will bring the nation of Israel out of Egypt to the promised land using the Passover lamb. And that's the foreshadow of Jesus Christ. So in this final passage, we've actually seen Joseph forgives his brothers, and we understand forgiveness. We've seen the gist of Joseph, the promise to take the bones. Well, let's do one final thing before we have the Lord's Supper, and that's just a quick review. And we said this, that when you look at the book of Genesis, there's two big sections. There's there's chapters 1 through 11, which are four great events, the creation, the fall, the flood, and the division. And then the second big section is 12 through 50, which are four great people, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob and Joseph. And so let's think for just a second about the four big events. The first one is creation. God spoke it all into being. The first chapters of the book, we see that God said, let there be, let there be light, let there be land, let there be this. And we see the creation, the account of the creation of man. Chapter 1 was the overview. Chapter 2 was the details. We saw all of that. Then we saw the fall. And that's really, if you, if you get to it, that's the saddest thing in all the Bible. Because here was mankind in the garden, uh, everything going good, and then rebellion. It brings sin and death into the world. And But when the fall comes, there is the promise of the Redeemer. There's a promise that God's going to send the seed of woman to crush the head of the serpent. He's going to send the Savior. The Savior is Jesus Christ. The third big event was the flood, and that was when mankind got turned wicked and got worse and worse and worse and worse and worse, and God decided to judge the world, and Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And Noah and his wife and his three sons and their three wives, all those eight people built an ark to protect and save their lives, and they got, God brought all the animals and put them all on that ark, put them all on there, and they stayed on there over, over a year, I think 370 days. Jewish calendar wise and uh, there was a great judgment on the earth and then after that division in which after they came off the ark and after the family began to grow God said I will divide them all over the land they did all over the world they didn't want to go man said I don't want to go we're going to do our own thing we don't have to do God's thing we do our own thing we're going to build a tower we're going to build it up and we'll worship ourselves basically what we're going to do and that was called the tower of Babel because God then just confounded their language, made them all where they couldn't understand each other so that they had to get into groups of people that talked like they talked. Oh, I recognize what you're saying. We're together. And he divided them up, and they divided all over the world, the four great events. The four great people, of course, is Abraham, the man of faith. Did you know that when you believe in Jesus Christ as Savior, you are called a child of? And this morning we said child of God, but we also, in the book of Galatians, were called a child of who? Abraham, because he was a man of faith. He's saying that just as Abraham was a man of faith, we're men of faith and men and women of faith when we believe in Jesus Christ. The second one, of course, was Isaac. We call him the gentleman who trusted God. He was kind of amazing because he only had two to two and a half chapters about him in the whole book of Genesis, while everybody else had a lot more chapters. But he was an incredible man. He was a faithful man. He was the gentleman, and he was the man who, who really trusted God most of his life. And then we have Jacob, and a lot of the book is about him, the deceiver. He was a deceiver, and he was being deceived. He was He became his He'd be his other name, and he's the prince of God, and through him comes the 12 tribes, the 12 sons, and and the nation really begins as a great family and then goes into a great nation. And then last but not least, Joseph, the holy man, the man who served God, the man who was faithful in prison and faithful in the palace. Think about that. Faithful in prison, faithful in palace. You can't get into more opposites. To be in the worst prison you can think of and to be in the biggest palace you can think of, he was faithful everywhere God placed him. The theme of the book, of course, is that God is sovereign. 
and that he is working in all the events of our lives. It is God who created it all, God who put it all together, God who works it all, God who's made all the promises, and God is working everything according to the counsel of his will. It is God who works in the fall and the flood. His choosing of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, his promises, the seed of woman will bring salvation to mankind. God is working it all. God has a redemption plan. The Messiah coming through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, David. That is so amazing. Aren't you glad that God made the promise? Aren't you glad that God made the promise to Adam and Eve, and then God made the promise to Abraham, and then to Isaac, and then to Jacob, and then to Judah, and all the way down? And aren't we glad that in all the events that that that, that famine didn't come and kill all the Jewish people off, and then there wouldn't be a Savior? Or that as we're seeing in Sunday morning and Sunday, in, in Sunday school, uh, we're studying the feast, the feast days, and we're looking at the Feast of Purim, which is the story of Esther. Aren't we glad that Haman didn't get his way and kill every Jewish people? There wouldn't be no Messiah. Wow. God works it all. Three applications, I think, from the book. Number one, trust God in the events of our lives. I mean, He's in control. He's the sovereign one. He works all things. My unknown future is safe in the hands of the all-knowing God. That's what it boils down to. He keeps His promises. Whatever He does, He does. We can rest in Him. He's the all-powerful God. Just trust Him. Trust Him in the events of life. We have to say, Lord, I don't understand what's happening. I just have to trust You. Second thing we should do is tell others about God's plan of salvation for mankind. I mean, you think about it. It goes all the way back to Genesis. Genesis 3.15. Then to Abraham. Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Judah and all the way down. We have the message. And, uh, you know, there's an old saying that says that man is always saying, do, do. And God is saying, it's done. It's done. And that's it. What did Jesus say on the cross? It is finished. Jesus Christ died and rose again, and he gives the gift of eternal life, which comes by faith. The last big point, I thought, is just forgive one another. That's what we see, because a lot of the book deals with Joseph basically forgiving his brothers. That's what it boils down to. And in our relationships, we forgive. Just remember this. God is the judge. God is sovereign. Repay evil with good. And forgive as we're forgiven in Christ. That's that's really the key. Trust God. He's in control. Share the message and forgive one another. Let me pray and then we'll observe the Lord's Supper. Heavenly Father, what a great, great book. Lord, I love it. I wish we could study it again. It's so fun to look at these truths. It's so good to see what you've done, how you created us, and how you put mankind in the garden, and how the fall, and how the promise, and then you work it all out, and and the flood, and then the choosing of Abraham, and Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph, and all of these things, Lord. We just watch how you work all these events. Thank you, Lord, that your God is in control. We can trust you. We tell people of your salvation, and we, we forgive. Thank you, Lord, for this great book. Help us, Lord, as we get ready to look at Exodus. And we see that you are bringing the nation out of Egypt. Thank you, Lord. May we never take for granted that you are all powerful and you can take a bunch of slaves to bring them out of the most, bring them out from the most powerful army in the world. Thank you, Lord. You can do anything. Lord, we just ask you that you would, uh, help us as we continue our lives, that we live our lives based on your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.